Let's pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. When you were sick as a child, someone probably took care of you. As a kid, my mother waited on me hand and foot when I was ill, bringing me medicine and hot chicken noodle soup, even small toys to play with while I was bedridden. She laundered the bed sheets when my fever drenched them in sweat and came to check on me every half an hour or so to see if I needed anything. Now, when you're a sick parent, on the other hand, you get no such favors. For my part, if I'm lucky, my wife can manage to keep the kids and their loud demands at bay while I nurse a headache or a bout of nausea. But we've got two kids, and she's easily outnumbered, and one of them will always find their way to my bedside, not to ask how I'm feeling, if there's anything they can do for their dear old dad, but more likely to ask me to make them a peanut butter sandwich or fix something on the family computer, which is always on the fritz. Did you try a hard reset? I'll groan through dry, chapped lips, knowing that unplugging the whole computer and turning it back on will usually solve a multitude of problems. No, I'll try that, my oldest son Ethan replies, turning to leave, before suddenly looking back. Oh, and could you make me a peanut butter sandwich? I can clearly remember the sickest I have ever been. It hit me when I was in grad school at Yale. I, I suppose I was about 23 years old at the time. And I can remember the precise moment that I realized something was terribly wrong with me. I'd been pushing myself pretty hard at the time, a little too hard, I think. Along with a full course load at school, I was also working as a chaplain at a local hospital. And I had a second job as a photographer for the university. Now, Yale is an enormous place, right? And my job took me everywhere uh, across the city of New Haven, from the psychiatric wards of Yale New Haven Hospital to the dreary tunnels beneath the streets where the maintenance guys were fitting pipes that billowed hot steam. As I said, I can vividly recall the moment that the sickness took hold. I was out taking photos, standing on a New Haven street corner in the late afternoon as a light drizzle fell from a gray sky. For a moment, just a split second, everything seemed to stand still. The people passing by slowed to a crawl. The droplets of rain seemed to hang in the air like little stars, reflecting the headlights of passing cars. And then everything lurched sideways as if I were standing on the deck of a ship tossed about by a stormy sea. Of course, the ground was as firm as it had ever been, but my legs had turned to jelly beneath me. Staggering for a moment, I found that I was more tired all of a sudden than I had ever been in my entire life. The fatigue was absolute, carrying all the weight and authority of an irrefutable fact. I felt like an appliance that had been suddenly unplugged the socket in my skull still hot, sparks flying, circuits sizzling. Uh, 
The camera that hung on a strap around my neck felt heavy like a dead albatross, and I was tempted to lie down right there in the wet concrete and fall asleep. I don't even remember how I got home. The diagnosis was mononucleosis, and mono affects everyone who gets it differently. For me, it was the most painful sore throat of my life, coupled with this indescribable weariness. I couldn't do anything. School, work, it was all out of the question. My life ground to a complete halt. I spent two weeks on the couch, eating Advil pills like they were junior mints and staring at the ceiling with glassy eyes. It was, for me, a hard reset. Much like the family computer, something had pulled the plug on me. And forced to stop, I was finally able to realize that I had been multitasking way too hard. So when I recovered, I quit the photography gig and dropped one of my New Testament classes once I realized that I didn't actually need it to graduate. I mean, it's not like you need to know much about the New Testament in my line of work anyway. <clears throat> in this text from the Gospel of John, from the New Testament, Jesus raises a man named Lazarus from the dead. Now this is a dramatic reversal of circumstances, a moment of profound despair turned to one of profound relief, even joy. It's also a kind of foreshadowing of Jesus' own death and resurrection, right down to the rolling away of the stone at the tomb. Perhaps that's why we're told that Jesus is greatly disturbed by these circumstances, because he knows what suffering awaits him, too. The despair of the situation affects him deeply. Where are we to locate ourselves in this story? Who are we? For those who are grieving a loss, and there are many in this time in which we have lost so many people, in so short a time. For those who are grieving a loss, you will surely identify with Mary and Martha and the rest of their friends and family, even Jesus, who weeps at this tremendous loss. But at some point in our lives, we are also like Lazarus, knocked on our backs, incapable of much of anything, more dead than alive. I have to confess that I've personally been in a little bit of a funk the last couple of months. It's not that anything is particularly wrong or you know, that I've been dealing with anything out of the ordinary. Objectively speaking, you know, life's pretty good. I really can't complain. It's just, just that I spend too much time worrying about what's going on in the world and all the existential threats to our civilization, and frankly, it's been depressing. I read about the climate crisis, and the 2024 election, and the Pandora Papers, and the pandemic, and the strains on our global system that is proving to be less resilient than we'd believed. Every day at lunch, I scroll through the news feed on my phone, perusing articles and essays about this stuff. Here's a short sampling of the headlines that I came across this week. 
I'm sorry, but climate change will not be stopped. Is America heading towards another civil war? Why food shortages will hit America hard? If life feels bleak, it's because our civilization is beginning to collapse. And not to be outdone. Man jumps into lake to escape swarm of bees, only to be eaten by piranhas. I mean, you can only handle so much of this before it gets you down, you know? There's a phrase for this, this endless bad news and the fear that drives us to drown in it. They call it doom scrolling. Maybe you've heard of this. It's a popular pastime for a lot of folks since COVID turned our world upside down two years ago. And it's in our nature to be drawn towards these lurid, frightening stories, much in the same way that it's impossible to turn away from a car accident. These articles end up being the most popular and the most profitable. So writers keep on churning this stuff out. It's not that what they're saying isn't true necessarily. While some may call it fear-mongering, I actually think we are facing a number of unprecedented threats that we need to take seriously. But it doesn't do anyone any good to marinate in bad news like a teriyaki steak. It takes a toll on you. It drives a person to inaction and despair. Sometimes you've got to unplug yourself from the things that are draining the life out of you, whether it's your newsfeed or Facebook or a toxic relationship or a bad job. Sometimes we've got to stop watching the news for a little while and seek out the good news, the gospel instead. Friends, there are things that feed on me, like piranhas. And I don't know what they are, but I know that something feeds on you too. Last week, my youngest son, Levi, came down with a nasty cold. He tested negative for COVID and strep, thank goodness. But then he passed the bug along to me. Knocked me flat on my back. Not as bad as the mono, but plenty bad enough. I regrettably was not able to attend the Vesper service uh, last Wednesday evening, and I had to take a couple days off of work. But you know what? For me, it really ended up being a blessing. Something had pulled the plug, which is exactly what I needed. Friends, I slept for 16 hours straight, something I'd never done in my whole life. And when I finally woke up, I didn't just feel healthier. I felt restored, better than I had in weeks. My disposition improved after a much-needed rest. Despair is a kind of sickness. In his great theological work, The Sickness Unto Death, Soren Kierkegaard writes, Eternity asks you and everyone just one thing, whether you have lived in despair or not, in such a way that you bore this sickness concealed deep inside you as your gnawing secret. If, then, you have lived in despair, then whatever else you won or lost, for you, everything is lost. Despair is an all-consuming disease. I know, because it grips me more often than I'd care to admit. 
All of the voices proclaiming bad news drown out the good news of the gospel, which is just as real, if not more so. Namely, that resurrection is promised, that even death is not the end of us, no more than the end of an era is the end of the world. And if you can unplug the voices of doom for a little while, you just might hear the voice of Jesus as he called to Lazarus, inviting you to live again and inviting us to this table where we know the promise of restoration on this side of the grave and the promise of resurrection on the other. Amen.